Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Holy fire, burn away my desire. For anything that is not of you, but is of me, I want more of you, and less of me. Holy fire, burn away my desire for anything that is not of you but is of me i want more of you father i tremble as i as i sing that song because as much as i want your holy fire lord to consume all the dross that's in my life lord i'm terrified because I know the flames are going to hurt. Yeah, I know that it's a part of your perfect purpose. Lord, I pray that you'd cause us to desire that fire of your spirit, Lord. That baptism of fire. That gets rid of everything that is of us, Lord. And that prevents people from, every, from, from seeing everything that is of you. Lord, did you get rid of the dirty marks and the scuffs so that people can see you in us? Um, and Lord, would you contribute to doing that even today through your word and by the power of your spirit? In the name of Jesus, Father, we ask. Amen. So, here we are, DEFCON 1, defend and contend to the end, and we're in part two of our series. Would you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verse 8 to 18, but I'm going to start reading in verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. 
for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the, Lord, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Def con, or defense condition. A defense readiness condition. The church is constantly at war and always needs to be in a state of emergency, in a state of alert. We are permanently at DEFCON 1. Our enemy is the devil, and he's always ballied up and strapped up and out on patrol. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, Peter says, look, recognize you're in a war. Be sober-minded. Be watchful or alert. Does that sound like vacation time? Or does that sound like tour of duty in Afghanistan? He says, your adversary, the devil, your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour do you think that a lion seeking someone to devour is something to play with? Spiritually, it's a jungle out here. In the light of this, Paul has, has been encouraging his protege, right? His, his understudy, a younger yet mature man who's Timothy. Paul's probably up in his 60s. Timothy's probably about my age in his 40s. And in this letter so far, he's reminded Timothy of what it looks like to contend and defend to the end. And Paul has talked about the faithful servants of the past who passed the baton of promise. Remember? Who passed the baton of the gospel in verse 3. Paul talked about the faithful members of Timothy's family. Lois, his grandmother, and Eunice, his mother, in verse 5. And then Paul uses himself as a faithful role model throughout verse 1 to 5, and will continue to do so throughout this letter, including today. And in this modern spiritual warfare, in our text, we will see today two nuclear massive missiles that are used in the conflict and that are poised and ready to be launched in, in your direction. Hey, in my direction. 
And we need to be aware of these, we need to be aware of these plans, these schemes of the enemy in terms of tactical warfare. In Ephesians 6, Paul says, put on, the, put on some of the armor of God. Paul says, get strapped up. Put on the whole armor of God. That shows you that, you know what, this is not a, a natural war. You can't fight this in your own armor. You need to put on God's armor. You need to put on God's strength that you may be able to stand. Notice, without God's armor, you, you're not going to be able to stand. That you may be able to stand against the what? The schemes or the plans or the tactics of the devil. We need to be in full combat gear. We need to be patrolling in armored vehicles, if you like, prepared with heavy weaponry. In our verses today, Paul will continue to give examples of the faithful. Faithful people that ought to be followed, that ought to be taken, that ought to be receiving the baton from. He continues to use himself. He's going to use the Lord Jesus. And he's also going to use this disciple called Onesiphorus. Why? Because of the gospel. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Even in the face of suffering, because there will come an end to the race. There will come an end to the battle. There will come an end to the war. But not everyone will be prepared to be faithful. Now, the climate or the context at the time of writing was one of great persecution. And persecution such as would lead to great embarrassment. To associate with this new spiritual sect could literally get you killed. If you want confirmation of that fact, just look at what happened to the leader of Christianity. Jesus placed under a death sentence by the Roman authorities and then executed. Paul is now under the same inevitable sentence of death. Bishop Hadley Moore um, said this, he said, during this time, Christianity trembled on the verge of annihilation. Incidentally, geographically, where is this now taking place? It's in Rome. It's in Rome. The gospel has traveled over 2,000 kilometers from Jerusalem to Rome in less than 30 years. And as we bear testimony today, right, Christianity wasn't annihilated. It's alive and it's thriving. Yet, in that time, I mentioned this brother last week. His name's Nero. You can see a bust of him. <clears throat> and just on the left of the screen, you can see um, a mosaic of what happened to many of the Christians under Nero's rule and reign. You can see someone being mutilated there. In the summer of 64, it said, Rome suffered a terrible fire that burned for six days and seven nights, consuming all, almost three quarters of the city. The people accused the Emperor Nero for the devastation, claiming he set fire for his own amusement. In order to deflect these accusations and placate the people, Nero laid blame for the fire on the Christians. 
The emperor ordered the arrest of a few members of the sect who, under torture, accused others until the entire Christian populace was implicated and became fair game for retribution. Now, this is confirmed by the historian Tacitus in the Annals, The History of the Roman Empire. It was dangerous to be associated with Christ and his people in this part of the first century. The the temptation would be to shrink back in fear of losing life, which is coupled with shame. Now think of the disciples. They ran for their lives at the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Remember, fear and shame. Remember Peter, utterly denying any association with Jesus Such was the pressure of persecution, fear, and shame. And surely we can understand that, can't we? Here's a simple example. It's not the greatest, but you get the point. Imagine parents with a teenager out shopping, let's say, in Croydon. And all of a sudden, the teenager's like, oh, mom, dad, you know what, I got... I'm just going to go in that shop over there. I'll meet you back at the T-Mobile shop in like five minutes. And they, and they kind of disappear. And so the mum and dad are like, mm, okay. So they go about their business. Five, ten minutes later, T-Mobile store waiting, and here comes the teenager. Now, they don't know what's going on. But little do they know, the teenager spotted some of their brethren. And this teenager ain't really kind of feeling like their mum and dad's swagger. So they duck out because they don't want their friends to see them associated with them parents. Like, See, and we also live in a a somewhat shame-oriented culture. It's probably more so for teenagers and young people than it is, you know I'm saying, for us olders. For teenagers now, they can't even go out the road with one scuff on their crepes. They walk with their baby wipes. <laughs> now, it, is, it, it does happen in our culture, but it's more prevalent. This is this shame-oriented... It's, it's more prevalent in other cultures, but it is apparent here nonetheless. And our climate or context is one of shame regarding the name of Christ. Leading to embarrassment. And, and everything that's associated with embarrassment. Now, Paul is banged up abroad. He's writing a letter to his partner. You know that Paul came from Tarsus, right? Which is modern day Turkey. And he's in Rome, so. Banged up abroad. And he's writing a letter to his partner in ministry. And we saw last week, Timothy is instructed to do something. Verse 6. For this reason, says Paul, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Fundamentally, Timothy is encouraged to do something. And he's encouraged to do something based on what God has already done. In fact, God has not done one, but he's done two things. First of all, God has given a gift of ministry that Timothy received at his ordination. And he received, I would argue, 
the gift of an evangelist. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5, same book, Paul says, as for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of what? An evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. So this is probably the ministry gift he received from God at his ordination when the elders, including Paul, laid their hands on him. In Ephesians 4, I think this supports that. Verse 7 through 11 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, Jesus, ascended, we saw that a couple weeks ago, when Jesus ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And he gave the apostles as a gift, the prophets as a gift. He gave the evangelists and also the pastors and teachers. See that? The second thing that God had done was give Timothy the Holy Spirit, which he received at his new birth, right? The Holy Spirit, which we all receive at our new birth. Romans 8 says, if you have not the Spirit, you don't belong to him. (laughs) If you're a child of God, you have to have the Spirit. See, and, and Paul says, with regards to the gift that you have, the specific gift of being an evangelist, find that into flame, verse six. And we were talking about that in community groups, right? You can have a candlelight flicker that you can go and blow it out. Riley, um, our little foster son who's who's two this month, every time you light a candle um, in the house, you know, like when you light them scented candles, he goes, happy birthday, happy birthday. He's only got about seven words in his vocabulary. Those are two of them. Happy birthday. Now you can go, Riley can go and blow that out. Paul says, you know what, that's, it's great that there's a flame but we need to get it to the point where it's, you ever seen them welders torches where they switch on the gas and they, they light it and they light and then they turn it and the, the, the flame goes from or, red, like orangey red to blue to white. Guess what you don't do? You don't put your finger in that flame. And that's what Paul's saying. Paul's saying the gift that you've got, Timothy, that's how you need, to, you need to get it roasting. And how many, how many of you know that's true for us? Whether, you've, you're, whether you're an elder, you know what I'm saying, who's had hands laid on them and you have a specific gift that you're using, or like Romans 12, you've got, you may have an administrational gift. Time doesn't permit us. We all have gifts. May God help us to stir them up. King James. May God help us to fan them into flame. All of us. Can you imagine what that would look like? Lord, help us. It'd be like a, and then the building would be like on fire, like a towering inferno. So fan it into flame, <coughs> verse 6. And then the gift of the Spirit, which we saw in Acts chapter 1, brought what? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You shall receive power. So we get our word dunamis, where we get our word dynamite, because it's dunamis in Greek. So Jesus says, you shall receive power after that the Holy Spirit is. And not only do we receive power that comes by the Spirit, we also receive gifts of the Spirit, right? The nine gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But we also receive what by the Spirit? We can harp on the gifts and they're great. We need them. But what's more important? 
the fruit of the Spirit. Thank you, Ben. So here's the power, but then here comes also, you see the fruit? Love, self-control, those are two of the fruit of the Spirit. See that in verse 7. Now this is something that God had already sparked in Timothy. Paul encourages him to faithfully respond to what God has done on these two levels. God has saved Timothy and filled him with his spirit of power, which results in fruit, love, and self-control, to name two of them. Timothy must fan the flame and stir up these gifts. And so so must we. We started a a little thread on the vine just to kind of take these discussions a little bit further on a week-to-week basis. Verse 8. Therefore, with all that in mind, on that basis, Paul says to Timothy, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. You're going to be tempted. Nor of me, his prisoner, but share in what? Share in suffering. Why? For the gospel, by the power of God. Paul now introduces two major themes that will continue to reverberate through the rest of this book. This issue of being ashamed and the issue of suffering. These are the two missiles that are mentioned. And rather than incur massive damage and injury as a result, as an anti-ballistic defense strategy, we can intercept these missiles, we can reconfigure and thus redirect the guidance system. Now, all of those in the territorial army who are sitting in a congregation say amen. (laughs) Everyone else is like, what? Let me explain. What the enemy uses as weapons against us, we can turn around and use against him. Paul says, don't be ashamed. That sounds like there's a temptation to be ashamed. He says, share in suffering. That sounds like there's a temptation of him to say, louder suffering. What's going on my SMA people? What? Praise God. How many of you know that Jesus and Paul are two of the greatest examples in the New Testament? And they're identified by these very two things. Now, you don't hear about this preached often, particularly by the false preachers, ancient and modern. Shame and suffering. Yet Jesus and Paul are the pinnacle examples of successful Christianity, right? Now, how many of you would like to be like Jesus? How many of you would like to be like Paul? Hmm. See, when you know the true implications of the answer, you're not so quick to put your hand up. Paul is banged up, but notice he doesn't see himself as a prisoner of Nero. He doesn't see himself as a prisoner of Rome. How does he see himself? The text says, as a prisoner of the Lord Jesus. He says, Jesus, my Lord, suffered. Therefore, I'm willing to suffer also. I'm not ashamed. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, really complicated verse. I remember I.O. a couple years ago texted me, he's like, Pastor Rob, what's this verse talking about? In this context, it's not hard to tell. Colossians 1.24, now I rejoice, says Paul, in my, oh my gosh, did he say I rejoice or did he say I murmur? Or did he say, did he say I rejoice or did he say I complain? Did he say, did he say I rejoice or did he say I give up? 
my gosh, Paul. And you want us to follow your example. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake and in my flesh I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. How many of you know that Christ is the head of the church? And the church as his body is still on, on earth and will continue to be persecuted as Jesus was. Do you remember Jesus appearing to Saul on the road to Damascus before he was Paul, who was doing what? Persecuting, thank you, Linda, killing off Christians. And what did Jesus say when he met him on this road? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting the church, fam? <laughs> That's not what he said. He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus because he's the head of the body, the church. We are one, and there's, and there's still a lot of persecution to be experienced, as we see in Colossians 1, 24. But there is good reason to suffer, it isn't without rationale that we suffer. Can you see the reason in the middle of verse 8? He says, share in suffering. Why? For the gospel. There's the reason. And how are we to face this very challenging task? By the power of God. By the same power that he mentioned in verse 7. Right? The Holy Spirit. Timothy, don't be tempted to be ashamed. Don't retreat or become a deserter. This is war. The temptation is going to be for you to duck out. But don't do it. Don't yield to that temptation. Why? Because he, that is God, verse 9, has saved us. And he's called us. He's called us to this. He's called us to a holy calling. Holy, my gosh, Lord help me. You've been called to salvation if you're a Christian. A part of, a part of your calling to salvation is a calling to sanctification. A, a subcategory Salvation. A subcategory of salvation is holiness or set-apartedness. And, and what are you set apart to? Suffering. I hate, I hate to break the news to you and at the same time remind myself. If your Christianity doesn't have a suffering motif... It's not genuine. In other words, if your Christianity doesn't include suffering, you're not a Christian. And it takes real power to stand in this place for Timothy and for Paul against a church full of false teachers. It takes power to stand in this place against the culture, against the society that is contradictory. We are called to be set apart from both 
ungodly culture, and all false representations of the church. We are in the world, the society, the culture, but what? We're not of it. And the flip side is true. Not everyone that's in the church is of the church. And notice he says, verse 9, we've been saved and called to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus when? Wow, this is gigantic. Before the ages began. Remember, this war started before you and I were born. And God had already determined his battle strategy before he even made the world. Remember, God's not phased. God's not leaning over heaven with white knuckles like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do? See? And, and God, God already determined his battle strategy before he made the world, and you, back then, were a part of the strategy. You want something to, you want something to boost your self-esteem? Well, you take a minute to meditate on that. The fact that before God created the world, you were a part of his, his strategy. And why else did he do it? Yes, because of his purpose, but also because of his grace. That is his unmerited favor. <laughs> it's not because you deserved it. You deserved hell with a capital H. I'm, and, and I'm not up here because I'm good looking. I deserve also to be in hell and don't I know it well? I should be in a pit covered with slime and grit. See, even my thoughts are messed up. And by the looks of it, so are yours too. <laughs> now, here's another example of how wonderful this is. It's like playing sports back in the day, right? And You've got two captains, and they're going to pick a team. And they say, right, everybody line up on the wall. And everybody lines up on the wall, right? <laughs> and you've got the two best sports individuals, right? They're the captains. And you can't believe it. Because the guy who, whose team everybody wants to be on, he looks and scans, and he points the finger at you. And you're like, you're, you're like rah, me? <laughs> like, you're picking me? Your first pick, you're picking me? Are you bop over there? <laughs> and you stand behind him and you're like, wow. You're all excited because you're like, boy, we've got a real good chance of winning this game now. <laughs> Not because of you, you know, but because of the, the, the head guy on the team. God picked you. Not because you're any good. You don't even deserve to be playing. <laughs> don't we all know that's true? And God picked you because he wants you on his team. He's got a position for you to play. 
That's a massage for your self-esteem. That ought to make you feel, you ought to walk out of here with your head held high. My gosh. Now, when did all of this become clearly apparent? Verse 10. And which now, if you ain't got a Bible, verse 10. And which now has been manifested. You see, it becomes apparent when? Through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death. Gigantic. And he brought life and immortality to light. How? Through the gospel. Jesus came and made the the purpose of God, (coughs) excuse me, clearly apparent. And whilst fulfilling God's purpose, although Jesus was tempted, he wasn't ashamed, right? Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 says, Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Now, can you see the suffering? There's the suffering. Despising the shame. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Which comes first, the throne or the, sh- or the shame? <laughs> see, what was it in that verse that helped the Lord Jesus to embrace suffering and shame. Thank you. The joy that was future hope. Future hope. The joy that was set before him. You'd be like, the place looks so dark. It's like there's an earthquake. You're bleeding and dying. And you got joy? Yeah, that's because you're looking at the present circumstances while Jesus was looking to the future. The same f- and the same thing that held the Lord Jesus is the same thing that will hold Paul. Watch verse 11. With regard to the gospel at the end of verse 10, verse 11, for which I, says Paul, was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher. As we saw last week in verse 1, Paul was appointed by the will of God verse 12, which is why I what? Suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed. Verse 12. You see the link? You see see the, the, the two linked together? Suffering and shame. Like Jesus, Paul isn't ashamed. And notice the pattern. For I know whom I have believed, And I'm convinced that he is able to guard until what? To guard until what? Future. That day. What is Paul thinking about? Is he thinking about the past? Is he even thinking about the present? What are you thinking about apart from lunch? Are you you thinking about the past? Are you bound to the past? Are you thinking about your present circumstances? Are you overwhelmed with your present circumstances? Paul is drawing his encouragement. He's drawing in a a dark time. I mean, how dark can it get? 
We know at the end of this book in chapter, chapter 4, he's like, you know, my life has been poured out like a drink, drink offering. This is it. It's curtains for me now. I'm about to depart. And he's talking about, he's talking about his execution. He has to draw from that well deep. From a, he draws from a life patterned on the Lord Jesus. And he's looking to the future. Paul says in Philippians 3, we all know, probably thinking about it, right? Here we go. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may, oh, look, let me say that again. That I may know him and what? Power. And we have to get this power in its proper context and that's what we're trying to do. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and because look what the power is going to help him with. And may share his, that is Jesus' sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Oh my gosh. That by any, by any means possible, huh, that sounds like fighting talk, isn't it? By any means necessary, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead, which is when? Future, verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or I am or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. He put me on his team. Brothers, sisters, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead in the future. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. Listen to Paul. There's power for the task in verse 10. He knows it's going to involve suffering, verse 10. Yet, he has his eyes fixed forward, looking with hope to the future, verse 11, verse 13, and verse 14. Does this sound like a man who's ashamed? Can you see the pattern? Well, let's take heed then to verse 13. Follow the pattern. Follow the pattern of, of the sound words that you've heard from me, Timothy, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The word here in verse 13 for sound means healthy. Follow the pattern of these healthy, nourishing, substantial, nutritional words, Timothy. Don't listen to the poison being spewed by the false teachers, they will tell you the opposite. They will look at you and see you suffering. And ask why you got this suffering mentality. See, they, they know nothing about suffering. Because they're actually ashamed of the cross. They got it, they got it twisted. That's why they never mention it. They substitute the word cross with crown when it's the other way round. It's cross now, then crown. If it's a crown now, what on earth have you got to look forward to? 
See, that's why you possibly feel constantly discouraged. Because your hope is misplaced. What are we, what are we expecting? See, this is nothing more than what theologians called over-realized eschatology. It's kingdom now theology. And their understanding of the kingdom is twisted. In John chapter 6, verse 15, the people wanted to make Jesus king. He said, nah, it's not time for that now. At least not in the way that you want it. Mark chapter 8 Verse 34, and he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, you know what? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his crown, take up his cross and follow me. I love the way that fact that Jesus don't, he didn't run nobody down to follow him, you know. I mean, if you ain't got sense enough to say, raw. Let me weigh this up. 60, 70 years on this planet versus eternity. Hmm. It's hard, but it's not a hard decision, you know. It's a decision that we all have to make. Now, this is what is being challenged in Paul's day, this contrast, and this is what's being challenging in our day. You know, I... For me as a pastor, it's like, and I, I know I can speak for the brothers, it would be great to see our church grow, grow to the point where we're so big, we've got enough money, we can plant other churches and we can see gospel ministry furthered. Oh my gosh, who wouldn't want to see that? But if it's, at the, if, 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 if it's at the risk of people being deceived, you know what? Rather, rather we just keep it small. We just be like Gideon. It's all good. Like, oh my gosh, what, Lord, we've got, we got this battle to fight. We ain't got no, like, the, the army's like 200,000, and we only got, got 20,000. And Lord's like, yeah, but that's too much. <laughs> like, what, Lord? And the Lord begins to whittle you down and whittle you down until there's only 300 left. See? That kind of preaching does, doesn't, doesn't put seats on the bench. That was the challenge in Paul's day. This is the challenge for us. The pattern, let's keep to the pattern. And the pattern is gospel-shaped, it's grace-granting, it's Christ and cross-centered, verse 9 through 11. That, that will be an offense. You know we ain't in it for the money. That will be an offense and will often be received with antagonism which will probably lead to suffering on our part. We see it in Jesus' ministry. You see it in Paul's ministry. You see it being introduced to Timothy's ministry. And we will see it in our ministry if we faithfully follow the same pattern. Now, we will grow if God wants us to grow. But that's the point. Problem is, <clears throat> we aren't even thinking... We aren't even thinking about the gospel. Many of you are here, but you're not really here. What would it look like if we stopped for a minute? Stop for a minute. 
What if I came down here and I looked you in the eye? Are we thinking about the gospel? Who wants to go to Brixton on Friday night to do evangelism in the cold? Well, it's not so cold now, is it? We have to try and get used to the sunshine. Like, who wants to go to Brixton and share the gospel? We hear that announced so often, we don't even listen to it anymore. A lie? Some of you guys have never, ever been to Brixton. And you have no intentions of going to Brixton to share the gospel with anyone. You hear the message, and it goes in one ear, and it comes out the other. Who wants to to come to a Tuesday night prayer meeting? Oh my gosh, Lord help us. Sometimes we go prayer meeting, there's three or four people there. And two of them are the people who own the house. Some of you in here have never, ever been to prayer meeting on a Tuesday night. You don't even know where it is. And, every, and we all want prayer. We all have needs. If you're a visitor, you're cool, isn't it? <laughs> you're laughing right now. You don't even know what we're talking about. How about community group? My gosh. We got one, two, three, four, five. We've got six community groups now all over South London. Six community groups that, 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 that we've created in order that you might be benefited, helped, nurtured, encouraged. Some of you have never, ever been to community group. And, and for the record, you don't care and you're not interested. Some of you community group is around the corner from your house. And you've never been. No. We don't think about the gospel. You know what we're consumed with? And I know I'm generalizing, it's all right. I'm going to calm down in a minute. We, are, we don't think about the gospel. We're consumed with our singleness. We're like, where's my husband at? Like, where's my wife at? We're consumed with our marriages. You got two people in one bed, one on one side saying... My husband doesn't love me. Don't take me out. Never buys me roses. Never never tells me that he loves me. And on the other side of the bed, you got you got the man screwing like raw, my girl. Won't give it up. Won't won't give me my conjugal rights. Won't give me no sex. I mean, two people in the same bed on either side of the bed. What are you consumed with? Are you thinking about the gospel? We're consumed with our children. This week, primary school places is the big thing, right? No. Hey. Important issue. But an issue to be consumed about, especially knowing that you're a believer and you live under the sovereignty of God and God has everything under control. Come on now. 
We've got to practice what we preach, God help us. Your parent and you're worried about your children, you're worried about peer pressure, you're worried about drugs, you're worried about alcohol, you're worried about them having sex, you're worried about the music they listen to. Oh my gosh. We're consumed. We're consumed with our careers. Promotion. I want to be upwardly mobile. And honestly, at that time, you're not even... You're not even engaged in the real war. In chapter 2, verse 4, verse four Paul says, no soldier gets entangled with civilian pursuits. Did you hear that? The, man's, the, man, the man didn't say a soldier doesn't get involved. He says he doesn't what? He doesn't get entangled. Are you entangled in the cares of this life? Does this life have you tied up in knots? Now as I, now as I say that, don't hear, oh my gosh, man, I must go out to evangelism on Friday now. Oh my gosh, man, I must go to prayer meeting on Tuesday come hell or high water. Oh my gosh, man. I'm up. Where's that community group again? Oh yeah, right. It really is around the corner. Don't hear me saying that. Think, what does the gospel say? What does the gospel say? The gospel says that Jesus Christ abolished death. If, if, if you meditate on that hard enough, like I heard someone say it one time, meditate on it until your meditator breaks. If you meditate on that hard enough, you can't do anything but go out to Brixton on a Friday. Right? Jesus abolished death. Come we go tell somebody about Jesus? On a... What? You see, what does the gospel say? The gospel says that people are blind to the truth and Satan has them captured, shackled to do his will. If you believe that that is true, I won't have to beg you to come to prayer meeting. If you believe that's true, you'll be there on your knees saying, Lord, set my brother, set my sister, set my mother, set my uncle, my auntie, set my neighbor free. Lord, my best friend don't know you and I've been friends with them for 25 years. Lord, open their eyes. What does the gospel say? It says, Jesus saved us, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Now that sounds to me like predestination. You know what? Hmm? Well, let's go tackle this predestination issue. Where? Community group. Let me, what? Wait a minute. Before the ages? <laughs> Wait a minute. You see the difference? You're not going and engaging because somebody said you must. That's legalism. We ain't trying to manipulate anybody around here. God forbid. I know we're tempted to. My gosh. Be like, oh, look at finances. <sighs> we, could, we could take care of that. We could take care of business. <laughs> and make this a business. 
Allow the gospel to speak into your circumstances like singleness. You know what? I've got so much time on my hands as a single person. What can I do to further the gospel? I'm married. Oh my gosh. You know the difference between love and lust? We say it all the time. You're married. Right? You know, in marriage, you can lust after your wife or lust after your husband. That's why the, I pick on the men all the time, right? So the man them are on the other side of the bed screwing. <laughs> or not, as the case may be, right? And it's like, in order for you to get what you want, you feel you've got to make up noise or, I don't know, don't do the hoovering or some kind of punishment, some kind of madness. That's where we live, isn't it? In our sinful state. It's like, what does the gospel say to that? You know what? Love and lust... Lust, watch, desires to get at the expense of others in order to benefit self. It's called rape. I want to, I don't care about you. I want to benefit me, even if it's at your expense. That's lust. Love, on the other hand, watch this, this is the flip side. Love desires to give at the expense of self in order to benefit others. How about you try that on husbands? As I remind myself to try that as a husband. Teenagers. How about respecting and honoring your parents? I know you ain't feeling what they say. You've got to do this, you've got to do that, you've got to come in at this certain time. Where have you been? Not feeling that, right? Well, how about... How about love and respecting your parents? Like... I know you don't like it when I do that, so you know what? I'm only going to be here for a few more years. Let me just call. All right, you don't like... Because I love you. Because I respect you and I honor you. I've got 50 years to do what I need to do. Let me just call while I'm here. I mean, I'm eating your food, drinking out the, the, the juice in the fridge and not taking out the rubbish and not tidying up my bedroom. And You can, you can tell that, I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a parent, isn't it? See, do those things as a teenager in honor, to, in honor of the Lord. Why? Because of the gospel. I'm going to pick on myself now. Pick on the parents. Don't provoke your children to anger. Ephesians 6. Robert. Robert. Oh, my gosh. How long did it take for the Lord to get that one, drum that one in my head? Isn't it, Marky? Oh, gosh. Don't provoke your children to wrath. I'll be like, where have you been? Why are you late? Didn't I tell you? I'm like, I'm, I'm, what, you, how else are they expected to respond? Now, that don't, not, that don't mean that you're, you're, you're soft, you're just moist, and you just lie down, you let them do what they want to do, but there's a balance. I nearly run out of time, look. Don't provoke, Ephesians 6 says, fathers, particularly, don't provoke your children to wrath, but what? Bring them up in a nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Another translation says, this is heavy, man. Oh, my gosh. Lord, why didn't I learn this 20 years ago? <laughs> Ephesians 6. It says, instruct them and discipline them. You see that? That's two separate things, you know. But based on not getting on them, like making them angry and provoking them. Colossians 3 says, don't, not, not only are you not to provoke them, 
It says, don't provoke them because they will become discouraged. I'm like, Lord, why didn't I learn this 20 years ago? So I'm learning it now so I can teach you. We as parents, we older ones, are learning it so we can help you. I look at Dean. His son's like four, right, Dean? Four? Look at that. Four years old. Rob, you don't have to go through what I went through. And at 20 years old, you're trying to bend the oak tree. You get me? Bruv, you can be working on that nicely whilst he's four. Kai, he don't want to go raving yet. You get me? The only thing he wants to do is be with his daddy. So, bruv, you use that time. Lord, help us. So, and the reason we do it this way and not that way, I see Phil and Becky looking at me. They're not on picnic yet. (laughs) Don't worry. See, you guys are well-placed, man. I'm a lion. This is what it's about, man. See, it's multi-generational. It's us old heads now. Learned a few lessons. Got kind of bumped around a bit and damaged and passing the bat on. Wow. Can you imagine when you lot start taking a bat on from us, learning from the mistakes? A wise person, it says in Proverbs, doesn't make those mistakes themselves. They learn from the mistakes of others. Walk past the man's house and the house is mash up and all overgrown. I'm like, rah. Why is this house like that? Someone said, oh, he's lazy. Oh, is that what, is that what it is? Oh, that's what, that's what happened to people who are late. I learned a lesson right there. Saved me 50 quid a month on gardening bills. I don't know. All of this we do motivated, empowered by what? The gospel. The good news. Man, when I've experienced the good news... I'm supposed to, like, have a smile on my face, have a skip in my step, if that is my focus. If that is what I'm meditating on, I will be motivated and empowered by the gospel. And And what this highlights is that suffering dynamic. Right? Because when the gospel is your focus, you realize, like Jesus, you have to die in order that life might come and benefit somebody else. See, I'm not trying to minimize the pain of singleness. Please don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to minimize the pain of a difficult marriage. I'm not trying to minimize the pain of disrespectful, ungodly, rebellious teenagers. I know there's pain there, and I'm not trying to minimize the pain of, if you're a teenager, an overbearing, dictatorial parent who's forgotten what it's, what it's like to be 17. I'm not trying to minimize that. There will be pain, and there will be suffering, especially as you submit to God in Christ through the gospel. Hold to this, hold to this with faith in Christ Jesus and love for Christ because you're enamored with the good news. Listen to 1 Peter 5. This should be encouraging. I think we're nearly done now. Humble yourselves, therefore. We're always quick to do what it says in James. We're quick to hear, we're quick to how does it go? Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. But we do the opposite. We're quick to speak, we're slow to hear, and we're quick to get angry. Peter says, like, 
Relax, man. Like, calm down. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, not just the hand of God, under the mighty hand of God, you know, so that at a proper time, he may exhort you. God can take care of your desire to be promoted. God can take care of your kids. God can take care of your marriage. God can take care of your singleness. Come on now. If you didn't believe that, you wouldn't be here. You just need some encouragement. And like Timothy, you need me to remind you. But God can do it, verse 6. Verse 7, cast your anxieties on him, innit? Because he cares for you. He cares for you. He picked you, remember? And he put you on his team. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Why? Because you're in a war. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to... Don't let him devour you. Verse 9, resist him. Firm in your faith. Knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Ain't nothing new. You're not a victim. Hey, you're not a victim. It's not just about you. Everyone's going through this, man. See, but when you're, you will have that attitude because you wanting to take. You ain't trying to give. Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. Come on now. Verse 10, and after, look here, man. Oh, my gosh. And after you have suffered a little while. It's like my man just minimized. It's like, come on now, calm down. It's just a little, come on, it's just a little. Calm down, man. After you've suffered a little while, and it is little in the grand scheme of things. Remember, 70 years compared to eternity. Come on now. I feel like I'm on my own in here. Why? Not even an amen or a praise God. Lord Jesus, my gosh. After you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You don't have to sweat it. You're going to make it. Everything is going to be... Oh, we, I, I always hear them songs, and I'm like, that's, that's a rubbish song. That's not true. That's not gospel. <laughs> but, you know, actually, if you get it in its proper context, everything is going to be all right. It's true. Most of that, check this, most of that which you experience is a part of God's big plan. It's all a part of his purpose. And for those of us that have lived long enough, you can look back and you'll be like, rah, it wasn't so bad. It actually contributed to good, like Joseph. What you meant, taken and ill-treated. They, they wanted to kill him at one point. One of the brothers said, no, don't kill him. Sold him into slavery. And you think, okay, boy, that's enough. Joseph, man. The Lord's like, no, it's not enough yet. Turn up the temperature. Turn it up to, from 100 to, two, to 180 degrees Fahrenheit. Lord, it's all right. First Corinthians 10, verse 13, for you, God has not allowed you to be tempted above that which you are able, and he's faithful, and will with the temptation make a way of escape for you. God ain't going to give you what you can. And it's not anything that everyone else ain't going through anyway. How many years does Joseph go through a difficult time? 17 years. 17 years. 
Yo, that's nearly two decades. And Joseph's, and listen, it doesn't get better for Joseph, it gets worse. Joseph is working for Potiphar and he's doing such a great job. 58 minutes. He's done such a great job. You wonder why I keep looking at this, it's the clock. He's done such a great job, right, working for Potiphar. Because when he first come, you can imagine, right, this slave, and he's good looking. You can imagine Potiphar kind of looking at him out of the corner of his eye. But then after a while, because of his exemplary, exemplary character, Potiphar's like, wow, exalts him to the top servant in the house. He says to him, look, you know what? You're so heavy and I trust you so much. Just take care of the house, innit? When I'm not here, just take care of the house. You're the man of the house. Oh, but there's one thing you, you, can't chop, you can't touch, you can't trouble, and that's, that's my wife. But anything else, shall I do your thing? That's how much he trusted Joseph. This is a man who's going through a difficult, I mean, 17 years of darkness. And, and then, when Potiphar wants him, innit? Potiphar see him, and it's always the it's always, girls, it's always the guy that don't want you, right? How, how come he ain't looking at me? All of the other men, they keep coming up to me, they keep asking me, they keep asking me out, they keep wanting this, they keep wanting that. How come he don't come and talk to me? Hello? It's a good thing I'm married, boy, I tell you. Because, Lord, oh God, help me. I got myself in a lot of trouble. Just that one, see, I'm giving man's tips that I shouldn't be giving man tips. How come? Joseph. And he's impeccable. He doesn't go anywhere near this woman. And she wants him so badly, she grabs him in it. To the point where my man got to tear off his clothing. <laughs> got to tear off his clothes and run out. You know, Paul says you have to flee youthful lusts. There's some temptations you fight. Man, I'm taking liberties. There's some temptations you fight, and there's some temptations that you flee. Flee. Fleeting. Temptation fleeting. <laughs> Pray for that, brother. Joseph ducks out. Yet, the cordial authorities, she cries rape. He ends up going to prison. It goes from bad to worse to worse still. It ain't like Jonah. This guy's actually obedient. And then, oh my goodness. With a shower and a shave. I mean, one minute he's in the dungeon. He tells this brother his, 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 his dream, da 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 With a shower and a shave, the brother is second in command in the whole of Egypt. You want to talk, talk about humbling yourself under the, the mighty hand of God, and he will exalt you in due season? Yo. The Bible says, don't come sit down at the front when you come in. Just take, just catch in the back, innit? Because if you sit down in the front, somebody's like, <clears throat> um, that's taken. Sorry, boss. If we go sit down at the back. That's shameful, innit? Just sit down at the back, innit? That's cool. Let's be humble. Because God, when, when the time is right, God will exalt you. He will, he will work this stuff out. The Bible says, is it Psalm 34, verse 7, or Psalm 37, verse 4, one of them? Delight yourself in the things that you want. Like, right, I can't stop thinking about this thing. It's on my mind. I can't get away from it. No, don't delight yourself in it. Delight yourself in the Lord 
and he will give you the desires of your heart. Yo. The second one is, the first way is bear striving. The second one, you're chill. The second one, you're calm. I'm just delight myself in you. Lord, you know what I want? And you know, Lord, some of the things I want now, I'm not going to want them in two years' time. We're so fickle. We're like, Lord, I'm just going to delight myself in you. Jesus says, you who are weary and heavy laden, come to me and I'll give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Wow. Most of that which you experience is a part of God's big plan. Remember? Romans 8.28. All things work together for good. That's good and bad. Work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. He says that's what he called you. He called it to his purpose by his grace. So anything you're going through, man, come on. It's a part of his purpose. Stop fighting it. That is God's purpose. And start fighting the real enemy. Yo. Engage in a real battle. How? Verse 14. All right, let's do this. How? By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Sometimes we don't give the Holy Spirit a, a, a chance. Now that's a reference back to verse 7. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. Paul says, God, the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy, the good deposit or the treasure is the gospel. And it's the baton that has been passed to Timothy. What is Timothy to do with this treasure? Guard it. And guard it doesn't mean lock it away in a combination safe somewhere. On the contrary. Guard it by giving it or teaching it to a whole host of other faithful servants who will give it to other faithful servants. Second Timothy chapter two, verse two. Pastor, he's gonna deal with that next week. How do you guard it? By teaching. Second Timothy three, verse 16. How do you guard it? By preaching it. Second Timothy chapter four, verse two. You can look those up, we ain't got time. Run with it! That is the battle on the gospel, and don't drop it. Unlike others, look at verse 15. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Remember, these are the deserters. Among whom he names Phagellus and Homogenes. Don't be like them. Paul be like, particularly particularly these two. He's like, everyone turned away from me. But he can't help but mention these two. Because he's not expecting these two to desert him. Paul's going to stand before the Roman authorities and all he needs is someone to come and say someone to come who is familiar with Roman just to say you know he's cool and I know there's been a lot of stuff said but he's he's actually all right I'll stand up and I'll here's a reference for Paul but no one would do that and I expect for jealous man I'm like fam I wonder if Paul could even see him he'd be like Jesus and Peter be like, see that for jealous over there? Bridging, come and help out a brother. For jealous is like, right, I don't even know that brother. What, me? Nah, fam. I've got a wife and kids out here. Man can't afford to get locked out. I can't afford to go pen. 
Homogenies. Paul's like, I can't believe it, especially them two. Dick Lucas says, friends on whom he had relied, whose defection was pretty distressing, to say the least. Verse 16. But he says, look, you don't hold it against him, like Jesus and Peter, and it. See, Paul's just like Jesus. Brother's just like Jesus. Gosh, Lord. Verse 16. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. Now, this is the other guy. Three times this issue of not being ashamed has come up, right? And I can see you guys flagging. So... <clears throat> May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. What well, Onesiphorus is not ashamed. He actually goes, look, where Paul is in Rome in prison, my gosh. It's not, it's not like, you know, here's the address, you go there, or you phone them, or you write them a letter, say you're coming, it's visitor's day, you know what I'm saying? They bring him out, you sit down and talk to him behind the glass. It's not like that. These are Roman dungeons. Tutus ain't even got no um, documentation. I'm, I'm looking for Paul. Who? Fam, just go, go, just go down there and look. Go down there and, and bar out his name or something. I, I can't help you. That's what it's like. And Onesiphorus had to search and seek and, 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 and shout through the jail bars and, you know, and cry out. And he, he had to look hard for Paul. And I'm, my, my point is, he wasn't ashamed to do that. Right? Who are you looking for? I'm looking for Paul. I'm looking for Paul. Paul, Paul from Tarsus. Yeah, you know, the missionary brother. The guy who always talks about Jesus. Fam, you know, where that can, you know where that can get you? You must want to go behind bars too. But Onesiphorus don't care. Why? Because he's not ashamed. And he's embraced the fact that the pattern is that there's going to be suffering. Verse 17, but when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly, found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord. When? See, Paul's still thinking about the future. That he may find mercy from the Lord on that day. See, that's, and that, because that's when it matters. Future hope, and you well know all the service he rendered in Ephesus. So just, like, just like salvation that comes by grace, the power to fulfill God's purpose also comes by grace. Don't hear me saying you must do this and you must do that. And I, want, I want to paint a beautiful picture of the gospel so when you see it, you're motivated. You're carried along by that. By the grace of God. You know what I'm saying? We can only do it by grace. You can only embrace suffering and not be ashamed as you're empowered by the grace of God power of God. It's God's divine enablement. Shame and suffering are two of the missiles that the enemy launches against us to defeat us. May God give us the grace to stand still and not be a moving target and allow them to hit the target, thereby backfiring on the enemy. The devil's greatest weapon against us is to kill us our greatest weapon against him is to die. Let's pray. Father, I am I'm a typical example, Lord, of a sinner. Because I'm up here shouting and screaming and ranting and raving about stuff that I don't do myself. Lord, I'm a loser. 
I'm such a hypocrite, Lord. And I'm in such desperate need of your grace, Lord. I so need your forgiveness on a daily basis, Lord. And I'm so grateful for the forgiveness that comes in Christ. And I'm so grateful that even this morning, your mercies were brand new for me. And I know, Lord, every single person in here, if they have a heart toward you, feels the same way. And Lord, we're not masochists. We're not out here saying, oh, suffering, ooh. It doesn't put chills up my spine. If anything, Lord, the only chills it gives me is fear. Lord, I'm terrified of suffering. I don't want to get sick, Lord. I don't want anyone in my family to get sick, Lord. I don't, I don't want to lose my income stream. Lord, I worry about that stuff. I'm so grateful for 23 years, Lord, you've supported me and my family. We've never not had food in a cupboard, Lord. Thank you. And Lord, it does, it inflicts terror in my heart when I think, oh my gosh, Lord, how am I going to cope next year? Where am I going to get the funds, Lord? How am I going to support my family? Lord, these are fears that we have, Lord. We don't want to suffer. We don't want, our, we don't want anyone that's close to us to suffer, Lord. We don't want to lose our home in this current climate. We don't want to lose our jobs in this current climate. Lord, we don't want to stay single. We want to be married. Lord, those of us who are married want to be single. Lord God. And it's all because we're thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about others and we're certainly not thinking about you and we're not thinking about your glory. Lord, would you help us to be enamored with the gospel? Would you help us, Lord, not to be tied to the past and worried about all the things that we've done then that are going to, oh my gosh, how's that going to impact me? Help us not, Lord, to be worried about our current circumstances, Lord, our present circumstances to the point where we're so overwhelmed we can't sleep at night. We can't function. We're stressed. We're anxious, full of anxiety, Lord. Have to go to the doctor. Lord, we don't want to suffer, Lord. Yet we realize, Lord, that suffering, Lord, it's like the water and the wet. You can't have one without the other as a Christian, Lord. So if you don't give us a vision for the future, Lord, if you don't open our eyes to the glory of the kingdom that is to come, Lord, we will fail. We'll give up, Lord. Would you please help us? Help us to embrace suffering and help us, Lord, not to be ashamed. So often, Lord, I'm terrified, Lord. I'm paralyzed to tell my neighbors about you. Lord, forgive me. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, forgive us for desiring the world over you. Scripture says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Yet, Lord, 
we have this proclivity and this desire for the things of the world. Lord, help us to listen to Moses as he says, sin is only pleasurable for a season. And I thank you for your word because Moses doesn't say that it's not pleasurable because it is, but it's only for a season. Lord, help, help us to understand that, Lord. Give us wisdom, Lord. Help us not to love the things of the world because it's all going to burn up, Lord. As nice as the car is, as nice as the clothes is, Lord, it's all going up in flames. Lord, rather, fan it, help us to fan into flame, Lord, the gift that you've given us. You've given us all a gift, Lord. You've given us all, Lord, something that will point others to you. Would you help us to stir up that gift, Lord? Would you help us to fan that gift into flame? Help us to think, not about ourselves. Like Jesus, who, let us have, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. who left heaven, it says in Philippians, and humbled himself to become a man, even to the degraded depths of death. Being a human would have been enough, but coming a man and dying, he didn't see the glories of heaven to be grasped or to held on. He let them go. Help us to have that, let that mind be in us, which was also in Christ Jesus, Father. I know, Lord, it's supernatural. It takes a work of your spirit. I'm not even gassed, Lord. For real, we need your spirit. We need your power. Would you overwhelm us with that power, Lord, we pray. For the sake of the Lord Jesus. Before the, before the band sing, shall we, can we sing that song that we sang at the beginning? <clears throat> Holy fire. Lord, I don't want to sing this song, Lord, but I need to sing this song, Lord. Holy fire, burn away my desire for anything that is not of you, but is of me. I want more of you and less of me. Holy fire. Holy fire, burn away, burn away, burn away my desire for anything that is not of you, but is of me. I want more of you and less of me. Empty me. Empty me, won't you empty? Lord, I don't want you, but I want you to, Lord. Would you fill me? Fill me with you, with you, with you.
find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.